I'm Charles Lee, and this is the Berkeley Rocks Science Show. Well, coming up on today's program, Mr. Lang Elliott will join us to discuss the songs of insects. And a little later in the program, we'll have the Grokatron 5000 plus the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned for all this coming right up here on the Berkeley Grok's Science Show. Welcome back to the Grok's Science Show. Well, insects surround us. Their varied forms and shapes inspire either fascination or repulsion. Their mellifluous sounds can enchant an otherwise dull evening. But observing these fascinating creatures up close and personal can be a challenge. Until now. Well, join us today to discuss the songs of insects is Mr. Lang Elliott. Mr. Elliott is the creator and owner of Nature Sound Studio, which captures and celebrates the sounds of nature. He's the author of many book CD packages, including Common Birds and Their Songs and Music of the Birds. His new book CD collection, The Songs of Insects, co-produced with Will Hirschberger, details the varied forms and songs of insects. Mr. Hirschberger, uh, <laughs> Mr. <laughs> Elliott, thank you very much for joining us today. On, on yeah, the... Charles, good being here. Uh, well, certainly a pleasure to have you on the program. I, this is really a very fascinating and, uh, I would have to say, colorful book. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people might find insects a little bit repulsive. I'm, I'm curious, why insects and uh, what are some of their features? Well, we, first of all, I work with nature sounds, and I've done a lot of productions focusing on birds and guide to frog and toad sounds. But in late summer, the frogs have all quit singing in most areas, and the birds grow quiet, and suddenly we hear all these insects, like quite a cacophony of sounds of trills and chirps and shuffles and ticks coming from the trees at night and the shrubs and the ground and even during the daytime. But actually, until our book, there's been no popular work that helps people learn to identify what these sounds are and who's making the sounds. And I've been aware of that for 20 years, and it's just taken me about 20 years to finally pull off this project and create a book that that we hope will help people identify the sounds that they hear and have some idea in, in their mind, like what these insects look like that are making all these sounds. Well, the book is certainly replete with a, a number of them, um, of course, being the insects that make noise, such as crickets and katydids. Yes. I don't think any books really ever looked at those insects for up close and personal. Not for their sounds. There's been no popular work that includes a compact disc and lets you hear the sounds and that talks about the sounds. And, of course, we focused here on the insects that actually sing, meaning that the male is making a sound that attracts females and, in many cases, repulses neighboring males that has sort of a territorial quality to it as well as mate attraction. There's many other insect sounds like buzzing of flies or whatever that just happens. They're flying and get a sound, but it's not really a communication mechanism. But in the case of the crickets, katydids, and cicadas, and shorthorn grasshoppers, these signals actually do attract mates. Have all these uh, different sounds been classified as to their particular role in the animal's behavior? Well, yes, there's a number of biologists that have worked on the vocalizations of all the members of these groups. I mean, quite a number of studies that have been done. There's a man, Tom Walker, down at the University of Florida that actually has a fairly large website where he has recordings of a number of species. It's scientific treatment, and it really helped us when we decided to do this book because we had to go out and figure out what a lot of these sounds were ourselves. I'm curious, what are the challenges actually with recording these sounds? Well, 
some things are easy to record and some things are extremely difficult. <laughs> we used directional microphone, primarily a shotgun microphone, mm. long tubular mic that's highly directional. And if you have a little cricket or something singing in a shrub or on the ground, you can, especially at night when they can't see you, you can get up close to it and then put that microphone gradually, just move it closer and closer until you get a really nice recording, a field recording of that particular insect. But then there's a lot of insects that sing from the trees, and they're a lot harder because you can't get really close to them. And many times for them, we resorted to using parabolic reflector microphones, mm. where you aim it at the subject and it concentrates the sound, makes it louder, and also excludes sounds that are off-axis or off to the side. But the majority of our recordings were done with the shotgun mic type of setup. So it's probably difficult to get them in the studio then, huh? Well, actually, some of the real soft singers, like there's a number of species that have extremely high-pitched songs and very soft songs that even somebody with excellent hearing has trouble hearing, you know, unless you get close to them. And in some of those cases, we collected specimens and then brought them into a studio situation, into a sound. Like, actually, my friend Will had converted a closet into a recording studio. And you can put them in a little cage and feed them some lettuce so that they're happy, and they'll sing, merrily sing along mm. at night. So some of the recordings were gotten that way, although we greatly preferred getting the recordings in the field whenever we could. Sometimes in late summer, there is such a, a mess of sound. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a little hard to make sense of it because you're hearing so many things at once, and you have to really familiarize yourself with all the different types of sounds that are being made by especially the crickets and katydids, and so that you can begin to hear the individual elements that make up a big symphony or concert of insect songs. Some may say it's a cacophony, <laughs> but actually it's a cacophony until you get to know who's making the sounds and gain some experience, and then some of these, what, what sounds like just a bunch of noise, becomes quite pleasurable when you're familiar with all the different instruments, so to speak, that are making up the chorus. Is it possible to distinguish communication? Well, sometimes, but generally the females are relatively silent. Hmm. They will, a female will approach a singing male. Then you can get some complex interactions, like once a male becomes aware that a female is approaching, he may give another call, often a subtle call, or turn from chirping to giving little ticking calls, or speed up his song in some way that indicates that he knows the female is right there, and it's like a pre-mating kind of song. So you do occasionally hear that, although for the most part, you're hearing the males give their advertisement calls. And then every now and then something happens, you know, that's unusual. You may hear some ticking or something that you would say, well, that's different. And quite likely in certain cases, there would be two individuals in close proximity at that point if you could only see them. You know, it's a little hard to see them out there in the darkness, but you can key into things like that happening across the board, actually, like the 17-year periodical cicada, which is going to be coming out this year in the Chicago area hmm. in great numbers. When a female gets close to a male, she'll tick her wing in between his songs. He'll sing this buzzy kind of nasal song, and then he'll pause for a second, and you'll hear a little wing flick. And the female makes that, which uh, allows the male to orient toward her. And then he will approach her, and then he goes into a whole different song. And it's really neat, but the, the only problem is to hear those kinds of things, you have to be right there next to them. <laughs> you generally just hear thousands and thousands of them all singing together, and it's just like this humongous chorus. And inside that chorus, all these subtle things are happening, but you can't hear them unless you get close. Well, uh, I guess a lot of the listeners at this point are probably curious to actually hear some of these sounds. Sure. You could play that 17-year cicada since they'll be out. Why don't we work up to that one? Okay. <laughs> Set on track two anyway, so why don't we play this one here? Southeastern Field Cricket. 
Grillis Rubens. All right, that was the uh, Southeastern Field Cricket. Apparently. Yeah, and that's representative. There's a number of field crickets and ground crickets that give continuous trilling sounds. Actually, it's a pretty common theme, like a lot of individual notes just given in a continuous stream at a particular rate. There's a number of ground crickets that do that, even though they sing at different rates, and there's a number of tree crickets that do that. So the continuous trill is a common theme in the world of insect sound, and if somebody hears something like that, their first question is, well, where is it coming from? Is it a, a cricket in a tree? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so if you can cup your ears and sort of figure out, is it coming from above you? Or, or maybe it's coming from the ground, like from the grass, in which case it would be a ground cricket that's giving that kind of call. But when people learn the calls, you sort of have to do that. You have to categorize and say, okay, some of them sort of go chirp, 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 chirp kind of a thing. Some have a rapid stream of individual musical sounds, some give have ticking calls, some give little things sounding like zits or shuffles or tick, 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 z kind of things from the meadow katydids. So there are categories or themes that each group seems to share. And then within that group, there are differences between the species. How is it that most insects produce these sounds? Virtually all the crickets and the katydids, I think all of them actually, do it by rubbing their wings together. And these insects have both forewings and hind wings, and it's the forewings, toward the front of the forewing, where the wings come to the body, there's a modified area where one wing has a file-like structure, and the other wing has what's called a scraper. And they rub them against one another, the file against the scraper, or scraper against the file. I think they're both moving. And that's what is producing the sound. That creates a vibration that then vibrates the wings, membranes in the wings, which help amplify the sound. And so it's mechanically produced, a file and scraper kind of mechanism. Some of the shorthorned grasshoppers, they rub their leg against the wing to produce sound in a similar way. They would be the fiddlers. Then there's the cicadas that have special organs at the base of their abdomens called timbles, and that's a whole different mechanism. Their muscles vibrate membranes inside the timbles to create a sound that then resonates through their tracheal system, through their sort of lung corridors, and and produce really loud, buzzing kinds of calls. Well, they don't have vocal cords, you know, (laughs) they don't sing like, make sound like a human being does. So they are mechanically produced by the rubbing of wings together, or in the case of the timbles, rapidly vibrating membranes inside a special organ, which is similar in respect to our voice box, internalized vibrating membrane. Uh, well, I guess, uh, why don't we play the uh, track 75, is that correct? Yeah, the 17-year periodical cicadas, and I can talk a little bit about cicadas. Linnaeus, 17-year cicada. Magis cicada, septemdecim. Listen for the female's wing flicks in response to the male's song. This is followed by courtship song. And finally, the marvelous droning chorus of a woodland full of these magnificent cicadas. I, I mean, I could hear the you know sort of a high-pitched wheel and then the click. Is that yeah? That's the female who's giving the the click, mm-hmm. and then the wee. Uh, I call it a wee mm-hmm. uh, kind of buzz. Is mm-hmm. the male's courtship song. 
But like I was mentioning, you, when you hear a huge group of them singing, it all blends together. You don't actually hear we, uh, we, uh, mm. you just hear a lot of we <laughs> kind of stuff. It's uh, a huge, massive sound because there's so many of the cicadas emerging all at once. And uh, is this sort of common uh, sound for cicadas? Well, actually, the 17-year periodical is a little different from uh, most of the cicadas. Most of the cicadas you hear each year are, are what's termed as annual cicadas, meaning adults, each species, emerge. Actually, it's the nymphs emerging and then transforming into adults, but it happens every year. So every year you'll have adults singing of any particular species of annual cicada. It may take many, many years for nymphs that are down in the ground chewing on roots and sucking the sap from roots for them to transform into adults. They gradually grow and shed their skin, keep growing, shedding skin. Then after a number of years, they pop out of a hole, climb up a tree, shed their last skin, and become adults. But in the periodical cicada, for some reason, the life cycle is synchronized with all individuals emerging on the same year. And then they mate and lay eggs, and the eggs hatch into little nymphs that drop to the ground and burrow in, and then all of them are synchronized, so they'll start developing together, and then 17 years later will pop out of the ground and do the thing again. So there's not very many periodical cicadas in our region, but there are a number of annual cicadas. Wow. Um, I'm curious, is there a particularly favorite track you have on the CD that you'd like us to play? Well... I mean, I like, I, we should play the common true Katie did because it's one that a lot of people here in the East and are familiar with, even if they don't know what's making that sound. Okay. Common true Katie did, Terophila camelifolia, the northern race, followed by the southeastern race, followed by a pulsating chorus. Supposedly it's saying Katie did, uh -huh. Katie did, and the way it got the name, well, there's folklore associated with the name. One story goes like this. There was a, a young woman named Katie who was in love with a young man, but he wasn't interested in her, and he jilted her and took up with another woman who he married. But shortly after they were married, they discovered them poisoned and dead in their bed one morning. So everyone suspected that Katie had poison them somehow, you know, in the night. But nobody had any proof, so they couldn't really do anything. But the insects, of course, were awake all night, and they saw everything. So the Katie did tell the tale each night and say, Katie did, Katie did. That's just one of several stories about how that name came about. Well, don't commit murders in front of insects, then. That's right. <laughs> They'll tell it on you. You might not get convicted, but everyone will know the, the truth. <laughs> Well, uh, I guess maybe we have time for uh, one more. I'm, I'm curious. Oh, well, I like the snowy tree cricket, uh -huh. and that is uh, track 11. This is the temperature cricket. You can actually tell the temperature from the songs of, of many of the crickets if you know the right formula, but the snowy tree cricket has a pretty easy formula in that you're supposed to count the number of chirps in 13 seconds, add 40, and you'll have the approximate temperature in Fahrenheit. Maybe we can figure out what the temperature was when he recorded this. Thing. Right. <laughs> Snowy tree cricket, Ecanthus fultoni. Songs of a warm male, followed by songs of a very cold male.
So I, I lost count somewhere, so I'm not uh, sure <laughs> what the temperature was. Well, I think, I, if I remember right, that first one was around 70 degrees and uh -huh. 72 degrees Fahrenheit. <laughs> then what follows after a little bit is a much slower one that was somewhere in the 50s, like 58 or 56 degrees Fahrenheit. And it's fairly accurate. You know, once you know the formula, you can use them to tell the temperature. That's fascinating. Well, uh, I guess we are running slightly out of time. Uh, I'm, I'm curious, um, what actually inspired you to go out and look at these insects and, and also record them? Uh, well, because there's been a void there. There's a lot of naturalists and a lot of people that are into birds, and their interest has progressed to a very strong interest in butterfly identification. Butterfly and moths and dragonflies have become popular. But the singing insects have just been neglected primarily because there are no guides. There haven't been any educational tools for people. And I've, for quite a number of years, have thought, well, we should do a guide to the songs of the crickets, katydids, and cicadas, so people can make sense of this. That was the main stimulation. There's a neat little poem by Emily Dickinson uh, that points to the sounds made by the kingdom of insect. It, it goes like this. Further into summer than the birds, pathetic from the grass, a minor nation celebrates its unobtrusive mass. She uses the word pathetic not in a bad way, but mean they're diminutive and small, and they're celebrating from the grass, unobtrusive of their songs coming from the grass. You can't see anything, so it's the celebration of a minor nation. <laughs> unobtrusive from the grass. I really like it. Wow, that's great. I think that's actually probably a great place to actually end our, our talk here. Okay, uh, Mr. Elliott, I do want to thank you very much for uh, talking to us today on the Grok Science Show and uh -huh. sharing with us uh, the fascinating things with the sounds of insects. Thank you very much. And you were just listening to Mr. Lang Elliott discussing the songs of insects. This is the Berkeley Grok's Science Show. Well, coming up in just a few minutes, it's the Grokatron 5000 plus the world-famous Question of the Week. So stay tuned. Talking to the songbird yesterday Bring me to a past that violent away She's a little pilot in my mind Singing songs we love to pass the time Gonna write a song so she can see Give her all the love she gives to me Talk of better days that have yet to come Never felt this love from back and we're ready to play our game of the Grokatron 5000. That's right, it's our supercomputer formerly known as Deep Blue. And today the Grokatron 5000 has chosen the topic, what type of insect would they be? So for the following five people, the Grokatron 5000 would like to know what type of insect would they be? Uh, Mr. Elliot, are you ready to play our game? Oh, sure. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Grokatron, person number one, what type of insect would Donald Trump be? 
well, sticking with the singing insects, I think he looks like a cicada. And he also buzzes a lot. <laughs> so that one's pretty easy. <laughs> kind of hard to miss it when he starts opening his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> he makes a lot of buzz. <laughs> Uh, well, number two, how about Michael Jackson? <laughs> oh, Michael Jackson. Well, there's a particular Katie did called the Virtuoso Katie did. It's a very complex, rather incredible song. So I would say Michael Jackson is the Virtuoso Katie did. Well, he, he's certainly prolific anyway. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, number three was Alfred Kinsey. Well, I think, sticking with the singing insects, I would make him a band-winged grasshopper. <laughs> because when he flies, he flashes his wings. <laughs> <laughs> well, he was certainly not modest, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, okay, number four is famed golfer Tiger Woods. I think I would do the analogy of the uh, jumping frog of Calaveras County. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but for an insect, what would that be? That would be one of the crickets, one of the, li the little crickets that jumps an incredibly long distance and in quite a straight line. <laughs> when it performs. <laughs> Although Tiger Woods isn't so little. But <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but he does hit it straight on occasion, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and finally we have the President of the United States, George Bush. Uh-oh, you're getting into <laughs> politics. <laughs> he reminds me of a northern mole cricket hmm. who sings from a little burrow and sometimes plugs the hole to the burrow. But that, <laughs> that's actually not a good choice. I'm not sure where to put him, and I'm afraid I'd offend too many people. <laughs> okay, well... I think uh, other people are equally confounded. So. <laughs> well, I think that's maybe where I wish he was in the world with <laughs> okay. the entrance closed. Uh, all right. Well, Mr. Elliot, I do want to thank you uh, first for sticking around and playing our game. And, Already. And, of course, uh, talking well, about the book, Songs of Insects. Thank you very much. And that's all for this week's edition of Berkeley Grocks. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here at Berkeley Grocks, you can do so by emailing us at grocks at hotmail.com. You can also see us on the web at www.grocks.net. For Berkeley Grocks, I'm Charles Lee. Have a great afternoon, and stay tuned for more music.